We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. If you have a Bible today, let's open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 15. I thank God that we, we have been given the victory in Christ, you know, and I really believe in that promise that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. But I'm telling you this, man, you gotta you gotta you gotta yield to the Lord every quarter of your life. You know, uh, never sit on your laurels, never rest content, never put it in cruise control. I, I would encourage you, uh, no matter how close you are to get closer, no matter how deep you are, to get deeper, no matter how strong you are, to get stronger, you know, and because and, there's so much uh, for us, and what ends up happening is when you don't go forward, then you end up actually going backwards, and my prayer is that we would just continue to grow as Christians, and work, and sweat, and love, and serve, and and just, man, become more and more like Him all the way until the day that we see Him. Because if not, we might find ourselves like so many in the Bible who started well, but didn't finish well. Uh, King Asa was one of those guys, and so we have him as an example for us. Um, look what we read here in Second Chronicles 15. It says, Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in, but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. And so nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you, isn't this a cool verse? You be strong, and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Now it's interesting, chapter 14, uh, Asa just got a great victory. He won a victory, think about this, over a million men. And so, you know, he's coming back from the victory. It's more than likely immediately subsequent to it. And he's met right here by this prophet Oded. And the, the guy definitely must have been filled with the Spirit. We read that there in verse 1. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. This guy right here. And, and it, you know, in the Old Testament, just as a quick side note, we know the Spirit would sometimes come upon individuals, if you could visualize them, like falling on them, like the day of Pentecost. Uh, back then, it was special times for special reasons. I mean, you name it, it was Balaam or Othniel or Jehaziel, Zechariah, different guys where the, whole, the Holy Spirit came upon them. We know in the New Testament the Holy Spirit can come upon us. Just in case you're here tonight and you're lacking power, uh, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
right? You need that upon experience, right? We read that in Luke 24, 49, Acts 1, 8, throughout the book of Acts. And that empowers us, right, to do things that we wouldn't normally do. Uh, Ephesians 5.18 compares it to when you were in the world, you used to get drunk. And when you got drunk, it made you do things that you normally wouldn't do. Now, in one sense, we have this new wine. We not get drunk out of control, but we get drunk in control of God. And God influences now us now to do things that we would have never done. And so here we see the, the falling of the Holy Spirit upon this guy, Azariah, right? And, and so it's cool um, for us as Christians, the Holy Spirit lives in us. That's always a truth. But is the Holy Spirit on you? Tonight, are you under the influence of the Holy Spirit? You know, this guy right here, Azariah, um, the son of Oded, he was... Uh, otherwise, he, you would have never thought that, that he would go up and, and exhort this guy like this. I mean, the guy, it would be almost like, you know, Billy Graham just got done doing a crusade. And we'll just say, you know, 4,000 guys got saved, 4,000 people got saved that night. And then you go up to Billy Graham afterwards and you exhort him. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Billy Graham just won the great victory. Why are you exhorting him? Well, it was the Lord who knew that um, King Asa needed to hear this. Let me ask you a question. When the word of God comes to you, what do you think is more important? And I don't know if there's necessarily the right answer. Is it a preventative word to prevent you from sinning? Maybe prevention or correction? Now in medicine, they would say prevention, right? That's what they would say. Hey, take care of yourself now. You know, before you get that disease, before you find yourself in that situation, you know, take care of yourself now, right? Because if you wait until later, it might be too late. For us as Christians, it's kind of like that too, you know, where God would say, hey, you know, you're, you're doing good, that's great, but, but I want to I I give you a promise and I want to warn you now, you know, to, to, to make sure that you continue in this truth that God has given to you. You know, we see the principle here in verse uh, 2. It says, Asa, um, in verse 2, And he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, you and all Judah and Benjamin. Here's the principle. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Okay, so in one sense, there's the principle, right? The Lord's with you when you're with Him. If you seek Him, you'll find Him. If you forsake Him, He will forsake you. And we'll, we'll unpack that in just a second, right? But then we were, in verses 3 through 4, we see it kind of illustrated. In verse 3, it says, For a long time Israel is without the true God, without a teaching priest, without law, right? And so they had kind of like, you know, left the Lord, right? Maybe that's the book of Judges, right? When they forsook the Lord. But when they sought Him, in verse 4, when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought Him, then He was found by them. You know, sometimes, you know, I don't know how your prayer life is for your children, but it accelerates when things are going bad, right? Or maybe your finances, you know, that'll get you to your knees if you lose your job. Let's just say you lost your job. I'll bet you you start praying 
more than you have been prior, you know, when everything was going good. I was reading a book today about a, a lady, a couple, really, and they had a child and, uh, and, you know, something was wrong with the child. And they were praying, you know, God, you know, heal. God, step in. It changes things, right? And so the principle is, and in this case, of course, we know that things went bad because they weren't seeking the Lord. But when they turned to the Lord, then they found Him. And you guys remember the book of Judges? You guys remember the cycle? They would do bad. They would then seek the Lord. He would raise up a judge. He would deliver them. And then unfortunately, over time, they would forget and they would go back to that same old cycle, right? And so that's what he's saying there. If you seek the Lord, you find Him. If you forsake the Lord, then you won't. Look at verse 5. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in, but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the land. So nation was destroyed by nation, city by city. Why? For God troubled them with every adversity. You know... And here's the thing, okay, to be forsaken by God, initially it carries the idea of losing God's protection. And they then therefore will find themselves disciplined by God. You know, even if you look at the example of Israel, God sent them into slavery, but they were still His. They were still His children, you know, when you read the book of Judges, yeah, they were delivered into the you know, control of other nations, and other nations would come and take their food. I mean, but they were still God's people. And so to be forsaken in this context, it doesn't necessarily mean you lose your salvation. It just means that you lose that, that blessing that God wanted to give you that was above and beyond. It means that you lose that protection and next thing you know, you know, demons are coming in and taking control or sin has dominion over your life, right? As a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 12, look at verse 5. It says in 2 Chronicles 12, 5, Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak and said to them, Thus says the Lord, you have forsaken me. And therefore, I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. And so, principles that we learn in the Bible. You're with God, He's with you. If you forsake Him, He will discipline you. Because He loves you, right? But if you seek Him, what's the promise? You'll find Him. And so that's what this prophet says to A. Asa as he's coming back from the victory right and then I just love the way he sums it all up in verse 7 he says but you be strong and do not let your hands be weak for your work shall be rewarded you know I mean it's just so cool the way that he just encourages Asa even after the victory you know, even after the victory, they say that you're most vulnerable after victories. And so it's kind of cool, man, just to be encouraged even in those times. You know, for us as a church, I mean, there's so many things that I'm praying God will do. I mean, 
I'm excited about the summer. My prayer is that we can do some outreaches there at our sale park, maybe some Sunday night outreaches. Have you guys seen the band shell there in the park? Wouldn't it be cool to do some barbecue, huh? And outreach and concerts and, you know, they're going to even have the summer concerts in the park and it's kind of cool. The jet team is willing to go and, uh, and set up a booth and just be there reaching out, you know, and my prayer is that yeah, for us as a church, I mean, that we would just continue to uh, aggressively cooperate, not stepping out in the flesh, but stepping out in the spirit and reaching out to the people, right? Even though we're so blessed already and God's bringing people, I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know who's inviting them, but they're coming and it's so cool. I get to talk to them on Sunday mornings and times and it's just so neat to see what the Lord's doing, but it's like we're not going to in any way kick back. There's so much work to do, right? And not only for us as a congregation, but for us uh, personally. You know, God's blessing you, and I know you love Him. And I know the Lord's doing a beautiful work in your life, but He wants to do so much more. So just keep being strong and don't let your hands be weak, man, because the work that you're working is not in vain. Uh, your labor will be rewarded. It's just a beautiful promise there. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 58, that New Testament promise that kind of says the, the same thing, right? And, and what we find right here is God gives us his truth. He gives us his promises and he gives us his warnings, right? And so we need all those things, right? And Asa gets that personal word of encouragement to, to be strong. It's found 30 times in the Bible, you know, to be strong. You know, for me, one of the most important passages in my whole life was given to me when we started the church. I remember I was there and the Lord gave me Deuteronomy 31 verse 6. My daughter had made a little painting. Someone called me up on the phone. Hey, God wanted me to give you this passage, uh, Deuteronomy 31 6. And I'm like, I'm just staring at it right now. You know, God speaking to me, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you, you know? And we're going to see that's an important passage. Be strong, not because so-and-so's with you, not because that person's with you, not because of the money you have in the bank. Be strong because the Lord says, I'm with you. And that's a promise not just for me as a pastor. That's a promise for all of us here. You know, at the end of the day, you don't know who's going to end up with you except God. And I tell you what, if I know God is with me, I'm cool with that. Because he's all we need. And it's important that we know that. And sometimes he'll strip things away from us. He'll even strip people away from us. Because he wants us to know that he is all. We need, right? And that's how we're strong. You know, one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible includes those words, be strong. Over in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I, I like that passage. You know, I love the whole book of 2 Timothy, but, you know, you got to be strong in the grace. I'm not talking about abusing it. 
But I'm talking about accepting the fact that you're forgiven. You're forgiven, people. When you're in Christ and God looks at you, he doesn't see sin. He sees the righteousness of his son. And you got to accept that forgiveness. Because otherwise, you know, life gets really hard. You know, be strong because God is with you. Be strong because of the grace that God has given to you. And you probably know one of the most famous passages in the Bible also has those two words over in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Paul said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Right? You put on the armor of God so you can stand in the evil day because you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. You know, if it was just me going against another guy or another gal or men or a group of men, you know what? That's not as bad. But when I start wrestling with demons who are deceptive, who are liars, now I really need the strength that only God can provide. And so the Bible says this 30 times. And I encourage you tonight to hear the word of God. And just in case you hear those words or you read those words and you consider them, you know, simply, you know, lifeless words in a book. I like Daniel chapter 10, verse 19. And he said, oh, man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace to you, be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, Daniel says, I was strengthened. And I said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. You see, it's not just demanding words, be strong. It's living words. God says, be strong. That's what he's saying to us tonight. Be strong. Maybe you came in tonight and you've been, you know, failing. And you haven't been walking in the strength of God and so God brought you here and he speaks over your life. Be strong. And Daniel said, when I heard the words from the Lord, I was strengthened. And it's just so cool. You know, not only are the words demanding, they're living. Uh, the words are not dead. This is God's prophet speaking God's word. And it's that living word, right? Hebrews 4.12 said, a working word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. So listen, it's a living word. It's a working word. What's that word doing? It says in Acts 20, verse 32, it's building you up. It's making you buff spiritually, okay? <laughs> that's what God's word does to us, right? And that's what happened here. Uh, look at verse 8 of 2 Chronicles 15. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. And then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. You know, when Asa heard the word of the prophet, he took courage. I like that. And then he started cleaning. 
He started cleaning house. And, you know, maybe if you were here last week, you're like, well, wait a minute, time out, Manny. He already did that. You know, he cleaned house last week. Last week he got rid of the beer. Last week he got rid of the Playboy magazines, you know. Last week he threw out the garbage. Yeah, he did. But now it's even deeper. Now it's even a deeper cleansing, right? And God is always doing that in our life. You know, he's always just weeding things out that don't belong anymore. You know, he wants to go deeper. He wants us to be stronger. Um, You guys know how the difference between taking your car to the local car wash and let's just say you get the typical job, how much do you think it'll be? Maybe 10 bucks. But how much does it cost if you get it detailed? Have you ever had your car detailed? I haven't, but it's $100, man. That's why I've never had it detailed. So you'll see the little dirty things here and there. You know, um, but that's kind of how it is. God's like, like, okay, you got the typical $10 car wash. Good job. But now I want to get to the nitty gritty. Now God says, I want to do a deep cleaning. Asa was already cleaning house. We saw that last week in chapter 14. But now through the encouragement of the prophet, he musters up the courage to go deeper. Uh, The message led him to become more aggressive in his purging of idolatry. Anything that comes before the Lord, and I I notice it, it's out of here, right? Moving all the idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin. And it's cool, even cities in Ephraim. And so he not only goes deeper, now he goes farther, extending now to the cities he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And so For those of you guys, you know, you kind of know a little bit of uh, the story. Judah um, was the southern kingdom. So now he's actually extending out into the northern kingdom. And so he's going deeper and he's going farther, removing anything ungodly and restoring all that is godly. Notice there again in verse 8, it says right there, and he restored the altar of the Lord. That was before the vestibule of the Lord. So removing things that don't belong and restoring things that do, right? I mean, and that's kind of what happens, you know, when you're growing in the Lord. We touched on this last week, how we're supposed to put off the old man and put on the new man. I mean, I used to be a a thief. I mean, I'm, I'm sad to say, you know, I used to steal money from my uncle, my aunt, you know, even as a young kid, you know what I used to do? I used to go into their room. My uncle, he had a stash of quarters in his sock drawer. And so what I did every Sunday, you know, before I went to church, I would go and take some quarters, you know, probably about 10 bucks a quarters out. And when they dropped me off in front of church, I would go next door to the bowling alley that was over in West Covina, St. Christopher's. I never went to church. I just went and played pinball asteroids for those of you that remember that game you know and and, you know I mean even from a young kid breaking into a school or whatever I mean I used to steal stop signs how dumb is that you know you go to my backyard and you got all these signs and different things and I mean I worked at the pantry market and I had the five finger discount and just a whole bunch of I used to steal I don't know if you guys did you probably wouldn't fess up huh but 
you know, you put off the old. When you become a Christian, you're like, I can't even steal a, a paperclip, right? I can't because that's God's paperclip, right? So you put off stealing, but now you put on generosity. So it says, let him who steal, stole steal no longer, but rather let him give. And that's the way it works for us. Whatever the, the negative was, you stop doing it, and then now you do the positive. And so you're removing the idols, and you're restoring the altars. That's what we find. Uh, we do this as Christians. We put off the old man, and we put on the new man. Removing and restoring, putting off and putting on, going deeper and going farther. The movement of God through King Asa is now reaching to those in the northern kingdom of Israel, extending into the tribal areas that are mentioned here, even Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. You know, because they find out, look, it says in verse 9, this is the reason why, they came over to him in great numbers from Israel, it says, when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. Right? Why did they come? Because they, they saw the Lord his God was with him. It was obvious to those who were willing to look. It was evident, it was visible that the gracious God was with Asa, right? But why? Why was God with Asa? Well, we go back to verse 2. We already learned this. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. So Asa was seeking the Lord. Asa was with the Lord. Asa was trying to get rid of the things that didn't belong. Asa was trying to replace it with the things that do. Asa was trying to be a good leader for the country. And so the Lord was with him and, and the people saw it, right? And it's just so cool that that life of holiness that's, that God calls us to, you know? And I've learned this in my life in, in the ministry. In, in the ministry, because, you know, you're like, well, well, how can you be a successful minister? And you might look to the, 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 the task, whatever it might be. You know, well, he's got to cultivate the gift of teaching, and that's true. Or maybe he has to, you know, learn some pastoral administrative things, and that's good. And yeah, Hebrew, Greek, that would be very helpful, but at the end of the day, what makes an effective minister will be a holy minister, one who loves Jesus, right? One who lives right at home or tries to. See, and that's what he was. He was just trying to, to live right, holy. And so the Lord made it evident, right? And so this amazing work is, is happening. Look at verse 10. So they... They gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month in the 15th year of the reign of Asa. Uh, some say this would be the Feast of Pentecost. And they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. And you guys know seven is the number of perfection, right? Giving to God what belongs to God. And then they entered into a covenant, check this out, to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. 
Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them this word rest, is so important in this section. He gave them rest all around. And so these offerings uh, are given, we see there in verse 11, to the Lord. Uh, Undoubtedly, this was a spoil that they had just gathered after their victory over the Ethiopians. We read that in 2 Chronicles 14, 13 through 15. And so they gave the bulls and they gave the sheep, right? But what did they give that was most important? They gave their heart, right? They said, we're going to seek the Lord with all our heart. Not just on Sundays. Not just at church. We're going to seek the Lord with all of our heart. And not just a superficial cleaning. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes if I'm in a hurry, I'll just wash the outside of the car. Do you guys ever do that? Hopefully no one gets in your car, if you know what I'm talking about. You know, but this is a deep cleaning right here. All of our heart, right? And so, you know, it's not that there's necessarily anything wrong with the sacrifices of bulls and sheep. I'm sure the Lord was blessed with them in giving the bulls and the sheep. But we need to keep in mind as we give, that's just the beginning. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23? It's good to tithe even of the tiniest garden vegetables. Jesus said this you ought to have done. That's okay, but it just starts there. He said, you're not done there. Jesus said these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. The things like justice and mercy and faith. The sacrifices and giving are only the beginning. Remember what David said in Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you won't despise. You won't, you know, think little. You know, what do you think a broken and contrite heart is? A repentant heart, right? A changed life, an obedient Christian, right? And remember Samuel's words in 1 Samuel 15, 22, Then Samuel said, As the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. And so it's okay to give the bull and the sheep. I think it's cool and I think it's actually a calling to tithe and to give to God the sacrifices and the service that he's called us to. But it must go beyond that. It has to be us here tonight willing to give God our heart, willing to give him our life. Not just a religion. There are some people out there, and we don't see it as much here, but there's a lot of people out there that think because I go to church and because I give $50 a week, that I'm good. And God says, no, I keep your money. I would much rather have your heart. And so we read this in verse 13, that they, they entered into this covenant Sacrifices for the Lord as well as seeking of the Lord. 
that this covenant was commanded, it says in verse 13, even to the point of death, so that the violation of it would be uh, you'd suffer execution at their hands. Now, just in case you're here today and you're going to take this home to your child and say, listen, if you don't serve the Lord, I'm going to kill you, okay? You can't do that, okay? You have to take it in this context. This could be implemented in those days to Israel because they were under the old covenant in Lou of Exodus 20.20, 20, for example, he says, He who sacrifices to any god except to the Lord, he shall be utterly destroyed. And so, to Israel then, saying all those signs and wonders, under the law, a theocracy, which means they were governed by God, this could happen. They could implement the death sentence to the Gentiles then or anyone, you know. But now, I'm sorry, they couldn't implement the death sentence to the Gentiles then or anyone now, Right? But to the Jews who were under the law before Christ, it was perfectly legal. And so, um, you know, you read Deuteronomy 13, and God makes no apologies for it. Basically, man, these guys, I think the point they're trying to make right here is they were really serious about seeking the Lord. Look at verse 14 again. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets. So it wasn't like... Okay, Lord, we're going to serve you. You know, they were just like shouting, you know. And can you visualize that? Can you hear it? Have you ever done that? I encourage you one day, go into your backyard or something and just shout it. Lord, I'm yours. I give you my heart. You know, not that necessarily you have to shout for him to hear you. But there was an excitement here. There was a finality. There was a formality. The trumpets and the ram's horns. And here in the middle of their walk, they've you know, been the Lord's people for a long time already, they're renewing their commitment. You know, and we do that sometimes. We do that sometimes in marriage. Uh, I, I've done a lot of uh, couples that have renewed their vows. You know, they've been married for 10 years, 15 years. I think I even did one. They were married for 50 years. And you would figure like after 50 years, they don't really need to renew their vows but they did. And I think sometimes we as Christians, we should renew our vow. Or maybe even just check where your heart is. Are, are you giving your heart to God? Are you giving Him every area of your life? You see? Verse 14 tells us that it was final and formal. And then in verse 15, we rediscover that holiness. What ends up happening is it brings joy. That such heartfelt and sincere seeking of the Lord, it brings joy. It also brings rest. You know, do you have that in your life? Do you have that, that rest, you know what I'm talking about? That peace? I, I, I've been blessed lately. I've just been finding it more and more. Because I'm, I'm finding it more and more because I think I'm involved less and less in trying to please other people. I'm more and more trying to just please God. And living in the moment, you know, wherever it might be with my family, and just trying to walk in obedience, and then it brings joy, and then it brings rest, and then it brings peace. And that's what God wants you guys to have, you know. Jesus said, remember in Matthew eleven twenty eight, He said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, what? Rest. You guys like to rest? 
Yeah, some of you are resting right now, right? That's okay. I'm just joking. I don't see anybody. But take my yoke upon you, Jesus said, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. There's that word again, for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A lot of times we don't have rest because we're burdened by the things that other people are heaping on us. No, yoke yourself to Jesus. And when you yoke yourself to Jesus and you, you, know, you go through life with Jesus leading you, with Jesus with you, with Jesus bearing the burden for you, then you're going to have rest for your souls. It's just so cool, man. And King Asa right here, he's hardcore. Look at, look at chapter 15 in verse 16. It says, Also he removed uh, Maacha, the mother of Asa, the king, from being queen mother, because she had made an obscene image of Asherah, and Asa cut down her obscene image and then crushed and burned it by the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed from Israel, Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. He also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated, and he himself had dedicated silver and gold and utensils. And there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. And so this chapter right here is a good chapter you know it's a, it's you know guys you know how you watch a, a boxing fight it's a good round you know he won that round right and uh he even to the point where it's his, this is his grandma he says grandma uh, i got to take you down grandma you lost your position you lost your place maybe even some say where he had to ask her to leave the palace you know, and for us, think about that, because I know so a lot of you here, you love your grandma, right? Or, or you know, you love that, that family member. And God will test your love, whether or not you love them more than him, whether or not your love for them causes you to compromise. And so his grandma apparently was into Asherah, and that was a, a, a pagan idol, a sexual idol, and here's, you know, Asa cleaning house. He's removing idols from all over Judah, even into Israel. But in his own house, his grandma is an idolater. And so then the Lord brings conviction to him. And he says, I'm sorry, grandma, I love you. But you, you, can't, I, you can't be queen mother. You can't have this position. You can't have this place. You got to go. And so really, you know, it, it just shows the, 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 the depth of his love for the Lord at this point, you know. And God will test you. God will test us in those areas. Uh, here we see Asa showed no favoritism. He loved God more than anyone. It was a good time in his life. And we need to do the same. Jesus said in Matthew ten thirty seven. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. These things will be tested all the time. And Jesus even said in Luke 14 verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot, cannot be my disciple. And you guys know what that means, right? It doesn't mean you literally hate them. 
It just means your love for the Lord supersedes any other relationship in such a great way that in one sense, when you compare it, there's no comparison. There's no rival for the one that you love. You see? And that's where Asa was at this point. Sorry, Grandma. You know, you make some good tortillas, but, you know, you got to go. <laughs> I love God more than I love you. And so for Asa, it was a great start. And so he finished with flying colors, right? Unfortunately, wrong. In chapter 16, we read in verse 1, that in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. And then Asa brought silver and gold from, notice, from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house. And he sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between me and my father and your father, See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Aijan, Dan, Abel, Abel, Maim, and all the storied cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Baasha heard it, that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. And then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for building, and with them he built Geba and Mizpah. And so, if you remember, we read back in chapter 15, verse 9, that many of the people from Israel were coming to King Asa. They were joining Judah because the Lord was moving, so they were moving, right? And apparently, Basha didn't like it. The king in the northern kingdom, he came down, and if you were to see it on the map, like this is say, here's Judah's border, um, Ramah was just right there. So they came, and they started like fortifying this city to do two things. Number one, they wanted to prevent anyone else from Israel going into Judah. But number two, they were setting themselves up to attack Judah, Right, And so um, what ends up happening is King Asa, he does the diplomatic thing. He's no longer a theocracy. Now he's learned diplomacy. And he takes money from the temple. He takes money from the king's palace. And he goes and he hires the Syrians. They come. They attack the northern cities of Israel. So this draws uh, uh, them out of Ramah. And then Judah comes and they built fortified cities on each side. And from a political perspective, it seems like everything went according to plan. It was successful, right? And this is breaks your heart when we see what ends up happening. He took the Lord's treasures and brought protection from a heathen king, right? And so you would think it worked, it worked out okay, right? Mission accomplished. But look what happens next. In verse 7, at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and he said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, 
Therefore, the army of the king of Assyria has escaped from your hand. He says, were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. And so what ends up happening is the Lord sends another prophet. I, I love these guys, you know, Azariah, Oded, this guy, he comes and he speaks to him God's word. And then, you know, Hanani, uh, he comes and he speaks God's word. This time it wasn't prevention. This time it was correction. Because think about it, and I don't know if you guys remember the story, but last time all Asa did was pray. He prayed and God defeated a million men. So this time it's a smaller army coming against him, but the problem is it's 20 years later. 20 years later in his walk and relationship with God, and he doesn't pray. He doesn't seek the Lord. He does what the kings would do. And he goes and he hires the, the Syrians. And so the prophet comes and he says, Man, you messed up. You messed up big time. You know better. You've seen God do this work. You know better. You know, you because of this, he says, Now you lost the army of Syria. And from now on, you're going to have wars. That would be God's discipline. That would be God's punishment upon them. And he says, in this, you have acted foolishly, right? And so, we got to hurry and wrap this up. But, but here's the thing. He was loyal to the Lord. We read that in chapter 15. It says in verse uh, uh, 17, all his days. And so, what that kind of means is this. He wasn't a Mormon. He wasn't a Muslim. He wasn't a Buddhist. He wasn't an atheist. He wasn't a JW. Um, he wasn't a Hindu. He was a, he was a Jew. He was a believer. So he was loyal to the Lord in that sense. But he, he, you know where he stumbled? Is that he didn't trust God. He, he, he trusted man. So he didn't trust in Allah. He didn't trust in, you know, Krishna. He didn't trust in, you know, the Eastern mystical gods of Asherah or Cana or, or Baal. But he trusted in men. And in that sense, he, he wasn't loyal to the Lord, right? He ended up going south. He ended up starting well, but not, not finishing well. You know, it's kind of like some churches today. You know what they do? They ask for money. They ask for money. And when things start getting tight, you know what they start doing? Taking more offerings. I've seen it. You know, and the Lord's testing them. The Lord's testing them. He's just saying, well, if, if things are getting tight financially, what are you going to do? And, and, and f you know, my prayer is that if that ever happens in our life, in your life... I mean, I thank God the Lord has blessed this church. But man, we can't ask for money. You know, we're thinking about buying this property over there, this property over there, and all of a sudden my will start turning. 
don't tell him I told it, but I just, hey, Pastor Raw, you got a couple million dollars, you know, and <laughs> I know you do. And I mean, no way, I would never do that. First of all, I don't think he would give it to me because he knows better. That's not the way we've been taught. We trust the Lord. And you're sick? Yeah, go to the doctors. Trust the Lord. You need counseling? Don't go to a worldly counselor who's going to give you worldly advice. You trust the Lord. You go to the Bible. Verse 9 is one of the most awesome passages in the Bible. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. God is just looking. He's scanning. Is there anybody here who's really loyal to God, who trusts God, not men? And when he finds that person who prays and trusts in him, then God will show himself strong on their behalf. You see? And so the prophet comes and corrects him. Question in closing. What do you do when you get rebuked? What do you do when someone comes and rebukes you? How many of you here would say, I get mad? Some of you here might say that. The pride. And it's, it's just so anti-counterproductive. That's what happened here. He got, he got so mad. Look at verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer, put him in prison. Think about that. For he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Uh, Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. There it is again. You know, it's okay to go to the doctors, but you got to give glory to God. You got to pray first, right? And so Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients, prepared in a mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. And, And what we find at the end of the day is that Asa, in, in, a, in a nutshell, if you guys were to look at books, uh, they would say he was a good king. Overall, good king, right? But this way that he finished, it just breaks your heart, huh? When you see that, man, you know, angry at the prophet, throwing him in prison, enraged at him, oppressing the people, not seeking the Lord, you know. And what it is, it is a lesson for us, you guys. We got to start good. My prayer is that we would finish good. My prayer is that when we get tested, that we would trust the Lord. You know, anybody can rebuke you, right? Do you guys, any of you parents here, do you ever get rebuked by your kids? And you're like, who are you to say that to me? Get back in bed, knucklehead, you know? And, and, and you know, and maybe a lot of what they're saying might be wrong, but you know what? There's that little sliver of truth that 
unless you open your heart to it, you're not going to grow. Be open to rebuke. As a matter of fact, the Proverbs say that when you're wise, you really appreciate it. You really love to be corrected. Because what we see right here was a man who, whose pride, whose ego got to him in such a way that he would not allow that correction that was necessary in his life. And he finished, man, just in a terrible way. You know, recently I went to a funeral, and really I'm closing this time. I went to a funeral of a guy that was a pastor and if you were to go to that funeral, man, you know, you'd be like, man, the guy did pretty good, you know. And it was just like, overall, it was kind of like a good thing. But just like that, that, that elephant that was in the room was that he, when his wife had cancer, was sleeping with five women in the church. And so he was a good dad and his kids are saying all these nice things and the church is saying all these nice things and I, and I don't doubt that at all. But a big, old, heartbreaking blemish over his life. And that's why the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 11 and 12, now all these things happen to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454 3414 Remember that Jesus loves you